0: Seriously, We are in a very exciting season. This is the season of, of Christmas, the season of Advent. And it's one of those things that we love Christmas. We love Christmas and, and we love the idea of Advent. And so church, you know, we use the word Advent. Advent, everybody just recognize Advent means arrival. Okay, Advent means arrival. So whenever we use that word in the upcoming weeks, it's not a normal word for us. We don't go, "Oh, I had my Advent this morning at Vintage, right?" Kevin, my, my right? We just not use that word very often, if ever, never, except in the season. It almost seems like a foreign word to us. So when I say Advent, I want you to think arrival. Advent equals arrival. And so when we talk about Advent, we obviously talk about the first arrival, the arrival of Jesus, the first advent. There was this morning he came at Christmas 2000 years ago. We all know the story. We celebrate the story. And it's good and it's right to to continually remind ourselves of the first coming of Jesus, right? The arrival of Jesus coming and the advent of Jesus and what that means, right? We think about it meaning so much salvation for the world and joy to the world and all the things that we sang about this morning. And it's true and it's right. So we celebrate he came but as we said last week, that the church, somewhere along the way, said, Listen, we have kind of forgotten that Jesus is adventing again. We forgot that he's coming again. We forgot that he's going to arrive again. And so they literally instituted and created Advent to be a season in which we remember that he is. Coming again. And we said last week, so that we would live Ephesians 4:1, we would live a life worthy of the calling that we have received, right? To love neighbor, to love God, to love neighbor, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received as we live life preparing as if his return is imminent. We looked at the story of the, the the ten bridesmaids, right? The ten virgins and the five wise virgins who live life prepared as if Jesus were returning. The bridegroom was coming and it was imminent. And so we said last week that we're living our lives prepared as if Jesus is coming again and that coming is imminent. Cause the idea we said and hear this, how different. Listen, if I tell you that I'm coming to your house in a week versus I'm coming to your house tomorrow, you prepare differently, right? You prepare differently. I know that we do in our house. People are coming over. Clean up the house! Go, 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 go! Right? (laughs) Girls can get amen, right? And so, so we live life. We prepare differently. And so Jesus' whole point in the New Testament is that we are living as if Jesus is returning tomorrow and how we live is important. But the third part of this, in in the context of Advent, we think about arrival, is that it's really good to remember yesterday and it's really good to think that he's going to arrive tomorrow, but... I also believe that we need to live in expectation, anticipation with a desire and preparation, that in the context of our daily life, that he is arriving on the scene every day, that we live in the context of belief and conviction that as I awake today that God is going to arrive to meet me in the context of relationship, to go with, to, to fight with. And four, right, to to come alongside that I am not alone, this idea that every day I anticipate the arrival of Jesus in every moment of every day because he is with us. And so as we talk about Advent, then, it is good to think about first coming. It is right and good to think about the second coming as Jesus is returning again. But it's also good and right to prepare ourselves every day as if today is another day that he will arrive on the scene in the context of my life to move and to fight for and to be with. And so it's that picture of Advent that I want us to keep in this season. Now, here's a story. When I was that age, I don't know, like uh, kindergarten, early elementary age maybe a little younger, we had a Father's Day. And so that Father's Day, we went, I think it was to Macy's. I don't remember exactly, either Macy's or Rich's. And we went to Macy's or Rich's, went, went to the store. And, and, and one of the things, you bought a gift for Father's Day. They would give you, like for a dollar or something, a license plate for the front of your car. And the license plate said, Macy's up top, free advertising, right? And then it says, number one, dad. And so I'm with my mom and we get, I'm like, oh my gosh, get that for dad, get that for dad, get that for dad, right? And and she's like, okay, we'll get this for your dad, right? I said, I can't wait to give it to him, right? And so so we wrap up the gift. And we got him some stupid shirt, but we got the license plate, right? And and so I was super excited. So I said, Mom, we're totally gonna have Dad put this on the front. Of his brand new cool Chevy Silverado, right? It's gonna be a perfect fit on this car, right? And like, and and my mom's like, "That's yes, right?" And so, literally, in the so, and so, it's just funny because I'm thinking to myself, "It's like my dad's gonna love to do this." Now, think about it later, and like, literally this morning, going, "I bet my dad, my mom talked to my dad about this to be excited on my behalf, right?" And so, so literally, so we open up the gifts in the stupid shirt, but then there's the, the license plate i like this is so cool. And I'm like, gosh, this is so awesome. You gotta put it in your truck. You gotta put it on your truck. You gotta put it on your truck. My mom knew my dad. This is not my dad's style to put that on his truck on lots of levels, right? And so he opens it, and she goes, and he goes. Okay, I'll do it. And I go, told you mom, right? Told you so, right? My mom's like, mm-hmm, right? Good job, husband, right? You did well. And so, so all that to say, so literally he goes out and he literally he spray paints out Macy's because he's not going to be a free billboard for Macy's, right? And he's, but he's the number one dad. So, so literally he puts it on the front of his truck. And so what I would do every day, this is, this is, this is, I remember this like it was yesterday. Every day I could not wait for my dad to get home. Like, I literally remember this, right? Like, I remember, like, I would prepare myself for his arrival, right? How would I do that? Every day, I on, what time is it? See, it's, it's it's two o'clock, okay. What time do he get home? Five. How long from that is now? Is that three? I was okay, right? And so finally, five o'clock come around, and I would go, what time is it? Five o'clock, okay. And i run to the window in the dining room and look down to the right, this, my right, right? And it's... Ethan drive. There's a turn. I could see the turn and then come down my street. So I would sit there, prepare myself, because I so desired for him to get home, right? I anticipated it. I expected him to come. And every day I was standing there and I looked down, right? And all of a sudden the car, like, it's not him. It's not him, mom. It's not him, right? Like, okay, right? Every car, right? You come down to the car. It's not uh, uh, It's not him. Or then a truck would come. We had several trucks at the same in our neighborhood. And I go, it's a truck, it's a truck, it's a truck. Oh, there's not the number one dad in the neighborhood coming, right? There's a no line the of Late, right so and all of a sudden that moment would come he'd make the right say, oh, there's a license plate there's a license plate mom he's like that's great every day right and i'd run outside i'd stay at the end of the sidewalk and that's like like this right and he'd come up he'd drive up and he'd, he'd, he'd open the door and I'd, he'd get out and i'd go run into him we would hug right and, and then i'd run back inside right but then this whole dynamic that I was so so excited about his arrival about his advent right like, you see what I'm talking about, like, the Advent word loses its luster, but the arrival? Man, we get that. Couldn't wait for the arrival of my dad. I couldn't wait for him to get there. I couldn't, like, I sat there, like, I stood there sometimes for an hour because of traffic, right? I'd just stand there before cell phones. Like, i just sit there. I'd wait. I'd wait. I'd wait for, I mean, all the time. Waiting for his arrival. I'd, I desired. I would, I would anticipate it. I'd I would expect that to prepare myself by standing there and, and waiting for his arrival. Advent meaning arrival. The first Advent. It involved a whole people group in need of the arrival of a Savior. In need of a Savior. As a people, these four words I've already used would have defined. Hope would define their existence in the arrival. It would have been desire, it would have been expectation, it would have been anticipation and preparation. All four words I would encourage you to write down and take a picture of as you pray through this for yourself. There's a desire for the arrival, right, of Jesus. Of those, me, they didn't know it was a Jesus, they knew it was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was going to come, right. There was this real uh, desire for his arrival and the expectation, and anticipation, and there were preparation that people were making all the time for the the coming of the one who would save them. You all know, or most of you know probably the history of Israel's need of salvation. For hundreds of years, the Israelites as a people group had lived under the ultimate rule of of a foreign government. The Babylonians, then the Persians. And now the Romans and they are not their own people, right? They are not living free. They are not living as a people who could go and do as they please because they were under foreign rule by an oppressive people who Ultimately, maybe gave them a level of freedom to worship their own gods. But ultimately, ultimately, they they were they were oppressed and suppressed and who they were being. So they, they were literally waiting because why they had heard prophets for thousands of years say one is coming. The Messiah, he will set you free, right? He will set you free and he will he will be like a warrior king and he will fight and he will take back over Jerusalem and, and we will reign and rule there, right? And so all the disciples, like they lived with this anticipation just as all the other, the the, the Jewish nationals waiting for a Messiah. So the disciples were like, hey, is this the time? You're going to go into Jerusalem? You're going to take over as king? We're going to be by your right side. We got your back in this. Let's go to war, right? That's why we see stories of that in the scripture, right? Peter knocking off people's ears because the revolt is happening. Now's the time. Let's go do our thing. They were waiting for the arrival of a savior, a redeemer, to set them free. Like, just for a second, just remember Like, these are real people, just like you. They're not just the people of Jesus. No, like, they're real people. Real emotions. Real struggles. Real hardships. Real difficulties. They're wrestling with all of the things that you wrestle with. In relationships. At their jobs or lack thereof. Except... Where we have freedoms, they didn't. Where other best, where others were kind of exalted in the Roman Empire, they were not. And so they had to fight as this kind of lower class people. We can't really identify with that. But we do have our own struggles. So you can recognize that these are real people, real struggles, right? Who were in a desperate state, more than ready for the promise of God's salvation to be fulfilled. Basically, they were just I mean, they were. Prepped and ready, so ready for the first advent, the first arrival. So ready for the movement of God. So ready for the breakthrough. So ready for this. What we could say is that Israel was hoping and desiring, using these words, Israel was hoping, they were desiring, they were expecting and preparing for the arrival of one who would bring them freedom. Freedom. They were awaiting for the arrival of hope, one who would intervene in the lives to bring freedom and salvation. In our modern age, we take this word hope and we we use it all the time. And when we say hope, we we define it as a desired outcome, but with serious shades of uncertainty surrounding it, right? A desired outcome with very serious and uncertain um shades of uncertainty surrounding it. It's like, you know, Georgia Georgia won yesterday, right? And so so in that, that winning, we look for the future. We look to the College Bowl playoff. And 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 in that, what do we we hope that we'll beat Oklahoma, probably probably our first game. We hope, we hope to beat Oklahoma. But there's shades of uncertainty around. We hope to play for the national championship, right? But in that game, I mean Man, we hope to win, but serious, serious shades of uncertainty. So we hope. But I mean, you know, what I'm getting at. Yes, I use the word hope. You use the word hope and you you mean like ah, I do went so bad. But there's these serious shades of uncertainty that are surrounding it. But biblically speaking, that's not what hope is in Scripture. And you can look here on the screen. I've used this definition before. Hope in Scripture is this a confident trust in attaining the future. A patience while waiting, and confidence in the divine movement of God on our behalf. Like, do you ever use this definition when you use the word hope? Like, do you ever have? I hope in this. Like, I have a confident trust, man. In, in in attaining the future that's ahead of me. I and I have a patience, right? Like I stood there, I stood there at the window, right? And I have to say, I hoped my dad would come. Right? My dad never let me down in a moment, right? Like there'd be, there was a certain morning, a certain nights that he would be running late. There was one night he helped somebody he got in a wreck, he got home really late, right? But I mean I, I literally I hoped I'd sit there. And I had this this confident trust that he was going to come. Right? Confident trust in would come. I and as I, believe it or not I had a patience while I wait. I'd just stand there for—I mean, literally for maybe an hour or two hours. I'd stand there, hear from dad? No. Nope. Okay. I just stand there for hours, just standing there, hoping. I had confidence he was gonna come, right? That he was gonna move. My dad's gonna move on my behalf and show up, right? And so that's what we talk about biblically speaking—that there would have been this hope. That define the, the the Jewish nation, this Israelite nation, is saying, "We we've been told by the prophets whom we trust that one is going to come. We have a confidence, we have a confident trust. It's more akin to faith, isn't it? It's more akin to faith, a confident trust in attaining a future. I have a patience while I wait that God is going to to move and God's going to intervene. But let's be honest for a moment." Like, hope isn't easy, is it? In the moment of life. Like, living in that place of hope is really, really difficult because there are human beings just like us. As we're human beings. I want you to think about our own situation. What happens, what happens when the thing that we are hoping for is delayed? What happens for you? What happens for me when what we're hoping for is delayed because when we first stand at the window and expectation and hope of God moving like yeah 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 but what happens in our life when that doesn't happen? Hope begins to fade, doesn't it? Hope begins to fade. We we lose focus. Like I mean, youth. Just think about let's think about this summer. Like those of you who went to youth camp, right? Woo youth camp, and it was the greatest. Week of our life again, right? And you're like, and you had hope. God's going to do it. I'm going to do this for God. And we're going to be this and be this and be this and be that and be this and be that, right? And then we find our, and all of a sudden we get away from camp and things begin to wane. And all of a sudden hope begins to fade and the commitments that we made are like, oh, Man, that was so strong over here. A little less strong over here, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in situations, in situations where, man, we are totally committed right here, and we're like, ah, uh, commitment, right? Whatever it may be. And so, when our hope is delayed, when this expectation of movement is delayed, we find ourselves pulling back. We find ourselves distracted. We find ourselves becoming disillusioned. We find ourselves in these places and we bring ourselves to Advent. That's why Advent was created. Because of people like us and people like you, people like me who found ourselves. We were hoping and and distracted, focused on other things. And in that moment, our eyes are off of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, but they like to use the word idolatry all the time. You know why? Why? Because they had hopes of a Messiah, and then he didn't come when they expected it. And so they began looking elsewhere to see if some other God could meet their needs. So they would have, listen, they would have their, Jesus, they would have their God and others, just in case this one didn't work out right. Like, you recognize that we have lots of distractions that we give ourselves to that try to, we look to to meet all of our other needs that are idols that are no different than these, right? Like, what, what do we give? What do we, what do we look to? Do we look to relationships? I'll be honest with you, in the millennial generation, millennial, like, the greatest idol in your life is your friendships. Everything in your life revolves around if you have or don't have or someone's being nice. That is an idol straight from the pit of hell. It is. We've made an idol of relationships. We've made an idol of friendships. But don't let yourselves off the hook. You're the same way. All of you non-millennials. You Gen Xers, I'm just to be by myself. Over here, just myself and I. I don't need any leaders. I just got me. All right, that's me. Boomers, you just think you're the best thing that's ever happened in the world. And we couldn't make it without you. We give ourselves to other lovers. We stand there and we hope. It doesn't come. It's like, well, I'll just go over here for a minute. I'll come back. Right? I'll come back. Jesus isn't going to, he'll forgive me. He'll forgive me. That's what he does. He's just a forgiver. Hope isn't easy. Advent season. It was created and it's here for the purpose of awakening us to our other lovers. It's to awaken us to our idols. It's to awaken us to the places where we've lost hope even because of... Situations or sins we've committed or sins committed against us or just situations of life that are overwhelming. We've lost hope. And so the early church fathers said, yes, it is so easy to lose hope. It is so easy to lose sight of God. It's so easy to, to not stand at the window and look and hope and believe with a confidence that, and a confidence and trust in attending the future, right? A patience while waiting that God is going to move. It's so easy for us. And so Advent was created so we would return back and expect the arrival of hope in our lives. That hope has come. Hope is present and that God is going to intervene and we have to not lose sight, but stand with hope, a confidence and a trust with our eyes focused on Jesus and no other lovers. We want to remember the arrival of hope at Christmas, Jesus. And then pray that desire, expectation, anticipation, and preparation are all awakened in us. As we stand and hope for the arrival of Jesus, yes, in the second coming, but even more importantly, every day of our lives. So let's look at a story from Christmas from Luke chapter two, a really familiar story. Let's read it. So Jesus Luke 2, 4. So Jesus also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because Joseph belonged to the house in line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. All right, <clears throat> you tuned out, at least part of that, because you taught, you heard Linus tell the story, right? Peanuts, you, you've read this a jillion times, you know how it works, you know the story, so you're like, I'll, just, I'll wait to be the part I don't know. Well, okay, let's just start over. Let's pretend you've never read this. Let's pretend you don't know the Jesus story. Like, let's, let's be good readers and ask, that's really odd. Is Joseph's whole family is of the lineage of David and they all have to go back for a census, then why are they alone? Like, why isn't the rest of the family with them? Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, if they're going to their hometown, these are his questions. They don't have real answers because Scripture's silent on these things. But you have asked the question. Well, if they're going to their hometown, then why didn't they just stay with family? Why couldn't they find a room at the inn? Like, why didn't they just, like, if, if our family, if they had family from out of town, they were to come in and, and it was a big, like, we would just, we, yeah, we prepare. We were going to make a way. If family's coming, so we're going to make a way for them to come into the house. Like, well, like, why didn't they just go to some family member's house? Because it's, their, it's, it's where they're from. There's family there. Why didn't they go? Like, that's crazy. I mean, especially being pregnant. Why, like, they could only find this, like, this manger to go to. I mean, what's the deal with that? I mean, She was pregnant. I mean, if someone came to my house pregnant and about to give birth, like that pregnant, like just come in, right? It's like what's going, what's going on? So let's read it again. So with those questions behind it, right? Being a critical thinker of like, let's ask questions along the way. So can you read the stories if you've never read it before and ask questions like you would anything else that you read? Here we go. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Right, That's where he's from. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged, not married, but pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came that they would be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So let's just lay out a few things. I'm going to ask three questions that maybe Mary and Joseph would have asked in the moment. Okay? Three questions that they may have asked in the moment, okay? So Mary and Joseph, think about it. Mary and Joseph, we read it earlier. Mary and Joseph, like Mary has a conversation with the angel and she's impregnated. That's really normal, right? To be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Not awkward at all and not weird to tell anybody. It's totally normal, right? And then she's literally so to be engaged literally was equivalent to being married, right? That's what it was. Like they weren't hadn't gone through, but it literally equated equaled marriage. That's why I said Joseph was going to divorce her, okay? And so so she's like, ah, and she's just a kid. She's like so Anna, Catherine, and Sarah, my two girls. Like it's basically they their her, their their age, right? Somewhere in between crazy, and so, but God's come to marriage, so she has this confidence of God's movement in her life. Joseph decides, hey, I'm going to honor her, but I'm going to divorce her probably because her family and his family are telling him to. Like, you know, having a baby out of wedlock in in our culture, it's it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. It is a earth-shattering, earthquake moment in their culture where it's not just divorce, but it's like grounds for disowning. I just wonder if the family said, we have disowned you. We're not going to go with you. Family, we've already sent a runner ahead. You're not welcome in any of our homes in Bethlehem. I don't know for sure, so don't go quote me and say, well, Steve said. No, I'm just asking the question because Scripture is silent. But it's an interesting thing to process and think about. You have to recognize in this moment, right? So thankfully, Joseph has the angel come to him, too. And, so, and Joseph's like, this makes complete sense. Right. Okay. Well, I won't divorce her. Okay. But in this, here's my thinking. All right. I mean, Jesus is Jesus is on our side. This is great. God's on our side. I don't know Jesus. All right. But God's on our side. God's on our team. The angel of the Lord has come to both of us. This is so great. Right. So God's on our side. And so God's on their side, and all of a sudden they're disowned. God's on their side, and they have to travel alone. Like, I don't know about y'all. Thankfully, Randall's not here right now. But, like, when she was, like, 39 weeks pregnant, it wasn't awesome in my house. Like, men are like, mm, 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 no, see what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, they never, never, she was never comfortable She's like, at that kid steps in my bladder one more time, I just want to sleep, right? we get in the car, she's over there like, ah, lots of groan, ah, ah, all of that, all day. That's what it was, because you're uncomfortable, ladies, you uncomfortable, right? It's like, duh. And, and so I don't know, The scripture's really, we don't really know, did she really ride a donkey into Jerusalem, right out, to, to Bethlehem? I don't really know. Did she have to walk the entire way? I don't know. Maybe we have all these pictures of stuff. We don't really know. But, but you have to imagine, it wasn't comfortable. I'm sure she never complained. I'm just kidding. That had to be a miserable trip. But God's on their side. But man, it's so hard. It's so hard. So I just wonder in the moment, one question. Would they have asked, God, is is this really the plan? Is this really the plan? I mean, this plan here would have been very unexpected and honestly not desirable. They're engaged, not married. They're pregnant. They're alone. They're carrying the Savior. They can't find a place to rest, let alone have their baby. Is this really God's plan for their lives? Right? I'm sure their hope was in another plan. Like, yeah, well, we got God on our side, so go ahead and let us in the house, right? Do you ever do that? You're like, well, I'm friends with so-and-so. Oh, come right in, right? We're friends of God. Oh, come right in. We get in pretty with the Holy Spirit. Oh, my gosh, come right in. That's so normal. Like, you're crazy. Is this really the plan? Think about the season of life you're in. how many of you and how many of us have lost hope because the plan we have hasn't panned out How many of us have lost hope? We've left the window because life has thrown us so many unexpected curveballs. Advent is for people like you to say, I know we've lost hope. We don't anticipate anymore because life has happened because the plan has not happened. I had a plan. God's on my side. I don't know what's going on, buddy. God, sorry. God, Lord. But still, the plan I had, the plan we had, I mean, I told you what our plan was, God. Where is, what's going on? Man, they had a plan. And they're like, where's the plan, God? What's happening? Advent is for us, God. I don't understand the plan. But I know that you are the Lord and I will hope in your arrival. I celebrate the first, I recognize the second, but I am am asking God that you would awaken a hope again for your arrival because this plan is too much for me. It was too much for them. Second thing, God, why are we so alone? Why are we so alone? I mean, nature, baby, have a wedlock. Joseph, struggling. Family, probably disassociated, disowned at worst. They're all alone. Can't find a place, can't find a home. She literally places her bed in a manger. This is crazy. They're all alone. Left alone in a barn. I mean, guys, Joseph had to give birth to Jesus. I mean, how alone do you feel on that? Right? There's no kid in hospital. There's no ambulance you can call. 911. Oh, 911. This doesn't exist. Right? He's like, oh, I've got this. Oh, gee, God, help me. Right? Man, all alone. This season. How many of us are alone? How many of us feel alone? The holiday season is one of the most difficult times. Listen, holiday seasons are the most difficult times of the year for people who are not where they anticipated being relationally. Whether it's relationship with a spouse, relationship with a child, relationship with God, just relationship with Anyone because they feel so isolated, so alone. The suicide rate is at its highest this time of the year, every year, because people feel alone. We feel this other words abandoned. We feel forgotten. And what the Advent season is about is an awakening from abandonment and feeling alone to the arrival of Messiah. That's the point of Christmas. They're sitting there all alone, and all of a sudden, the Messiah Jesus is born into their midst, and all of a sudden, like God just brings random people from random places, right, to to, to come, like the. Uh, you're not really family, but you'll do for tonight. You know what I'm getting at is like, no, you, it's like this whole dynamic, right? And so the idea for us is that Advent is about the awakening of hope, about the awakening of God, God saying, God, I have hope, awaken hope for your arrival again, because I feel so alone. I feel so abandoned. I feel so forgotten God, I can't make myself not feel alone. I can't make myself have friends. I can't fix my relationship with my spouse or my kids, whatever it may be. I can't make that happen overnight, but God, I need I need your hope. I need you to arrive. I'm going to stand here at the window, God, until I see you come. And I'm not going to listen. Do you know why sometimes a lot of times you don't see God is because you're so focused on yourself and you're so focused on your situation and so focused on somebody else and their issues. And you're so focused on whatever it is. You can't even look beyond it to see God. You need to say, God, help me to look up so I'm not looking at the waves like Peter was so I can actually look up and see Jesus, because you have to leave where you are in your thoughts to come to a window and say, you're my only hope. That's the nature of Advent. It's the nature of Advent. The church saying, guys, you have to awaken to the fact that he's coming. You have to awaken that he's coming. He's coming. He is coming. The third thing they would have asked. Why are things just so difficult? I mean, why is it so hard? Why is everything so stinking hard? Everything I've already named, I'm not going to go back through the list, right? You know all of them. They're abandoned. They're alone. They don't have any friends. They have nowhere, no place to go. Oh, silent night. It wasn't silent. The baby was screaming, right? It's not. It's birth, y'all. It's terrible, right? It's like it's happening in the moment. Why are things so difficult? They're looking for this place, right? But they were God's chosen. Why is it so hard? God was with them. Why is it so hard? Isn't that the nature of our lives? If God's on our side, then why is everything so sinking hard to go? Well, it was for Mary and Joseph, Jesus's parents. It's just the nature of the world in which we live. Is there breakthrough? Yes, it's the advent. It's the hope of God's arrival. But do you sometimes just focus on how things are so hard and difficult? And you can't lift your head. And then your whole being is wrapped up and around that. And Jesus says, Advent's for you. It was for Mary and Joseph. It was the arrival of Messiah. It was, the, it was salvation. I mean, isn't it cool that Jesus' birth got to save his own parents? I mean, it was for them. I'm not saying we have a baby, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Jesus is the one, and so we have to lift our eyes. Our lives in this season, many of us are difficult, but we have to come to the window because Jesus is coming. The message of 2 Corinthians chapter four. I'm almost done. Speaks to the posture that can define. Speaks to the posture that can define our hope this season. It says in verse sixteen, chapter. Two, Chapter four of second Corinthians says, therefore, we do not lose heart when difficult seasons come. Right. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Well, because I stand here. I look to God and when I see him, I am renewed for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on the Chevy Silverado making its way down the street that has dad in it. We fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Set my eye gaze on Jesus. Christmas was about hope being introduced, the Messiah. But it was a moment that seemed like there was no hope, right? Mary Joseph, no room, no barn, all alone. God intervened. God brought hope, brought visitors, brought his presence, etc. Where is our hope? Where is your hope? Literally, what do you put your hope in? Do we put our hope in Santa Claus at Christmas? Do we put our hope in, in money? Do we put our hope in friends and finding friends? Do we put our put our hope in the context of our job? Do we put our hope in our leaders of our nation, our leaders' integrity? Do we put our hope in the, the weatherman that's going to snow this season? I have no idea. Like, what do you put your hope in? Like, we stand at the window and look at something. Each of us. What is it that you look at this season? What are you looking at that you put your hope in that if this happens, we can't even put our hope in a plan. We put our hope in Jesus. That's the nature of Christmas, the Advent, the arrival. Hebrews ten twenty three makes it clear. It says, Let us hold firmly to hope. Right? Confidence is the very thing we're trusting in. Let us hold firmly to hope because we can trust God to do what he promised. So let's end where we began. There is nothing sadder as a dad. This is the nature of life. I'm not getting on my girls, right? There's nothing sadder than the moment in our lives when our children stop running outside to meet us. I remember, I remember, right? And I got there in a stereotypical bed. It's just nature. I did the same thing to my dad. I stopped going there like, I don't know how old I was. Sometimes. we you go, babe. Touche. Good job, babe. (laughs) Do it every day. I'm just kidding. Make me feel better about myself. I'm just kidding. Now. (laughs) Never. Now, here's the deal. Hear this. There is nothing sadder, than you don't know, get. There's nothing sadder as a parent than our children stop standing at the window and running out to meet us. And I wonder how it feels for God in that same moment for us as the eternal parent. When we stop hoping, we stop believing, we stop trusting, we stop anticipating, we stop expecting, we stop desiring. Scripture is very, very, very clear. Jesus said it. It says, if you want. To receive the kingdom, then you must become like one of these. Remember who he was pointing to? Children. If you're going to receive my kingdom, then you must become like one of these with a childlike faith, confidence, and trust that God is going to arrive standing. You must become like a child who stands at the window every day and says, I don't, like the, I don't really like the plans working out, just being honest. I don't like feeling alone in the moment, right? I don't like how difficult things are, but I will stand right here, and I'm going to look. I'm going to anticipate I'm going to expect, I don't like how things have worked out. I don't like like all of these things, God, but I know I have nowhere else to go. and So I will turn to you because hope is only found in you. Remember, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And Peter goes, where am I going to go? You're the only one who holds the words to eternal life. Let's be an Advent. Let's make this a season where we go, Jesus, I'm really bad at standing at the window. And I'll go, I know. But you know I want to be good at it. I know. I can't do to my own strength, Jesus. I know. Will you help me? Yes. We pray. Say, God, you know the plan. I'm broken. You know these things. It's so hard. I know. Will you help me, God, to reawaken to the rival of hope that I live, anticipating, desiring, and expecting, and preparing for your coming today? Help me, Jesus. I can't. Only you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, we thank you for your power. you exhibited in the cross that is alive and well today that you take those who are far off and you bring them near Jesus I'm asking for each person this morning God who identifies with this but I recognize one I didn't give a whole bunch of how how to just do this you just do this 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 and this Because God, really, all that really matters is we say, I can't and I turn back to you, Jesus, help me. And that's where you intervene. And so, Father, I'm asking today, just out of your great mercy, would you lead each of us without any condemnation back to the window? Back to a place of expectation, back to a place of hope, anticipating and desiring and preparing ourselves, invested into our relationship as you were wholeheartedly and completely and fully and faithfully devoted to our relationship. And I pray today specifically for those whose plan has been overwhelming. I pray for those God who feel drastically and painfully alone. And I pray for those God who are just saying ah, it's so hard. I pray for grace. I'm praying for the supernatural move of your Holy Spirit to invade the fabric of each person's being in those places and to awaken them to return because you are going to come. We pray for the arrival of hope today in this season of Advent, this season of arrival. Would you bless each person here, Jesus, and bring salvation to every area of need that they have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If I invite to respond this morning. We have offering baskets here. Each week, this is our act of worship before the Lord. Biblically speaking, we always see in Scripture... All the way from Old Testament, New Testament, that money is one of those primary things that in every generation that becomes an idol. And so God created this act of, of the tithe and the offering to say, everything that you have has been given to you. To show that money does not have control of your heart and your mind, I'm creating a tithe where you take 10% at least of everything that you have and you give it back to me. That's what we do for this, Right. Jesus changed that New Testament. said, actually, it's not 10%. It's actually everything. <laughs> right? You get to give me everything, but we still, as an act of obedience, we have a tithe and time of tithe and offering to give. Our 10% is an act of worship. In fact, the Lord say money has no control over me. Number two, we have communion. Communion is an expression of remembering the cross of Jesus, of his great love, and saying this, Hey, as you take it, and you'll remember that I came. I came and I died. Listen, if I came, I'm coming again. If I'm coming again, it means I'll come today. If we take communion today, it is an expression of our saying, God, our step of faith, saying, Jesus, I'm struggling with hope. But I take communion today to remember, as I take communion, I'm asking for grace, Lord that you would awake inside of me again a hope that if you came, you're coming again. You'll come today. And then this place, if you're just like, I just need someone to pray for me about anything going on, if you came, you're going to come and be available on both sides and I'm going to pray for you, okay? So it is already 20 after. So we're officially done. Good job. You made it. We're going to just worship now until we're done. We're going to pray. When do you get to leave? When do I leave? Whenever you feel released to go. Who's going to release me? Jesus. So interact with him first. Talk to him. Hang out with him. Then you know when you're released to go. When you're released to go, ladies, go sign up for Women's Night. It's going to be awesome. You guys have a great week.